I wish I could have told you the whole story, Parker. Told you about how the accident changed me. My blindness seemed to enhance all my other senses. It was a kind of a natural radar, but it was so new it confused me. Then I met a mysterious man named Stick. He helped me to live up to the nickname that the kids used to tease me when they thought I was blind and helpless. The Daredevil. Now, I am confident. Fearless. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro. I am joined today by my good buddy, J. David Weeder. Hello, hello. How you doing? I am fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. And by way of background, uh, as most, I think most of the listeners would know, Dave is formerly the host of Dave's Daredevil podcast. And I don't know, I guess for about two or three years now, uh, the two of us have been talking about doing a crossover episode with Dave's Daredevil podcast and Back to the Bins to cover a run of Daredevil. And we both were very gung-ho every time we talked about it, but we just never managed <laughs> to find time to do it. Nope. And now it was that on the finding, books for a while. I know yeah, that. Now that we're finding time to do it, there no longer is Dave's Daredevil podcast. Well, the episodes are still out there. Just You can thank Darkseid for that. Yeah, okay. So... We're going to do this. This Basically, we're going to do the exact show we were going to do or the shows we were going to do. Only instead of going back and forth between uh, Back to the Bins and Dave's Daredevil podcast, they'll all be Back to the Bins. And I'm going to say right up front, I don't know as we record this first episode. Uh, I know that we plan to do three episodes to cover this storyline. So I'm, cons- I'm calling this a Back to the Bins trade paperback. Uh I don't know if you're going to get them three weeks in a row or if they're going to be scattershot. But the plan is to cover the Black Spectre storyline from 1974. And anybody who's interested in reading ahead, that covers Daredevil's issues 108 and 109. Then it cuts to Marvel 2 and 1 number 3. And then it's Daredevil 110, 111, and 112. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it two, two, two books per episode for three episodes. So today we are covering 108 and 109. And uh, this is this is an exciting story. I mean, it's got some really. It gets more twisted the further you get into it. I will tease that. Well, this there's, there's several things about this story that gets me, and, and I would say the the most pivotal aspect of it to me is Daredevil 109 was the first issue of Daredevil I ever bought. That was my oh, introduction to the character. Sweet. So you jumped in with the Gerber train. Yes. And, and I really enjoyed it at that time. And then, you know, it, there is a level of, uh, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say annoyance when people try to say, oh, Daredevil sucked until Frank Miller came along. Oh, that's a negative. Because I think there was a lot of, and I think you, you covered it on Dave's Daredevil podcast, there was a lot of good. It was mixed in with some not so good. But oh, there yeah. was a lot of good between the beginning of Daredevil and Frank Miller. If you got a writer that was focused and had a direction, you were good. But then there were people who tried, like Jim Shooter, and couldn't get a grasp on the character. 
And I don't know that Stanley ever really got a grasp himself. But he would have moments of brilliance mm-hmm. mixed in with, with oddities. Yeah, and I would say the weakest portion of Daredevil's run pre-Frank Miller was probably like in the in the high double digits, like the 70s and 80s around there. Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas was trying to be Stan Lee, and once Roy got out from under that, he was a great writer, but as Stan Lee light, it just never connected. And this is a character that, man, did he miss the ball. Yeah, and, and he is a somewhat different character, the whole, you know, blind superhero thing. Uh, and then the, the aspect of it, and they were just talking about, I was listening to an episode of the Fantastic Cast, and they were talking about Daredevil in an episode of Marvel 2 and 1. And they, they were going into the whole, you know, relationship of, you know, a guy who's enforcing the law as a lawyer during the day and then going out as a vigilante at night. You know, the, the conflict of interest sort of that you have there. Well, that's all Daredevil is when you come down to it. Somebody was asking me, you know, why do you want to podcast about him? He's, he's a constant contradiction. He's a blind man who can see better than anybody else. He's a lawyer who believes in the system, and yet he's... Whether he wants to admit it or not, he's he's subvert, subverting that. I mean, he sees it as assisting, but come on. I mean, you're being a vigilante. That's subverting the system by definition. Yeah. And he's just he's a constant, I mean, constantly mind-blowing character. Just from a, a uh, you know, what I think of the character point of view. Uh, you know, again, this was the very beginning of my comic collecting. As I got more intense into my comic collecting, I remember one year for Christmas... My sister gave me a subscription to a comic of my choice, and I subscribed to Daredevil. It's the only time I ever had a comic subscription. So I was a fan and uh, and continue to be. And again, like yeah. I said, I get a little bothered when people try to uh, make it sound as if the character didn't have any substance to him pre-Frank Miller. And to some extent, I, I feel like Frank Miller, much in the way that the Dark Knight thing did with Batman... I think to some extent there was, you know, a carryover of people trying to write Daredevil like Frank Miller that created problems in in the uh, in the book after he was gone. Oh yeah, people who were trying to do it and couldn't do it as well, and then even people who did do it well. Uh, just this whole we need to pile on and have everything possible that could go wrong for him go wrong. That that whole well, attitude bothered me a little. Well, you know, you know who followed Frank Miller's original run. I'm trying to remember off, off the top of my head, and I don't. Denny O'Neill. And you would think, Denny O'Neill, that's high quality. He did great things with Batman, and yet he just never... I mean, there were a few standalone issues, but it never connected. Mm-hmm. And then in there, you had a Harlan Ellison issue, which was one of my favorite issues of all time. But for the most part, Denny O'Neill just never got a... He never got his you know footing. I don't think I, don't think I ever read the Harlan Ellison issue. I'm going oh, to seek that out. Uh, off the top of my head, I believe that's 209. I'll need to see if I even own that. But uh, I, I'm thinking, like I said, even even like some quality stuff. Uh, when uh, like when Brian Michael Bendis was writing it, I thought he did a mm-hmm. good job of writing it, but he did totally the pile on thing. Oh yeah. Oh boy, did he! And did it very slowly, issue by issue. So after a while, it just, you know, I don't know. It, it's, 
I, I like the adversity to a character, but I also like to see them defeat adversity. Well, have you been reading currently with the Charles Soule run? No, I have not, but I've heard I've heard good things. I've had a couple of friends in the podcasting, you know, reach out and say, I'm not sure. I'm just starting this. It doesn't feel right. If you started it, it it's a slow build. But man, when he hits the ground running, he gets it. It, it. it comes from him being a lawyer. And one of my favorite Daredevil moments happens in that ish, in, in his run. Of all time, my favorite Daredevil moment. It's something where he made something that should not be exciting into a riveting issue. Okay, well, I'm going to tell everybody cover your ears if you want, but I'm going to say, go ahead and spoil. Um, Daredevil's going to the Supreme Court to make superhero testimonies admissible, and the entire argument is displayed as an actual Daredevil fight, but it's Matt arguing. Oh, that sounds interesting. So as, as the other the other side's making their, their points, he's getting blows as Daredevil in his head, and it's it's perfect amalgamation of that character that sounds pretty cool i i I think i'm gonna have to check that out and i don't think i i don't feel like that's a spoiler like to the extent where you think oh that doesn't make it worth reading oh no so so that that's definitely something i need to check out but to tease it a little bit more most people are worried because everybody's forgotten his secret identity this is first issue stuff you find out how that happened and it is inspired and that i'm not going to spoil at all yeah, I heard that that he puts the secret identity back in the bottle and he does it well. Yes. So which I I didn't think was going to be possible, but well played, Charles Soule. I, I I'm going to need to read that and see how that how that comes to pass because I kind of didn't think that was possible either. You know, short of you know uh, some sort of magical spell, you know, a la Brand New Day, which I hated. It, so. It's not Brand New Day. It's 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 something that is part of Daredevil. Okay, uh, I'm not, that one I'm not going to ask you to spoil. No, I'm not going to. I wouldn't spoil it if you ask. So, yeah, you, so so you're denying a friend a request, is what you say? <laughs> I, I'm I'm allowing a friend to discover something great on his own. <laughs> All right, fair enough. In the meanwhile, we should get into Daredevil 108 and 109. Yep. And I've got the synopsis for the first one. Uh, so Daredevil number 108 was the March 1974 issue. Uh, you would see this on stands on November 20th of 1973, so right around Thanksgiving. That's according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. The title is Cry Beetle, and yeah, the Beatles in this. Oh. <laughs> I, um, I kind of like the Beatles. I, I, I don't like this version of the Beatles. He gets cooler later when he becomes more of an Iron Man villain. But the cover actually has the Beatle and Daredevil going at each other sky high and there's a little inset about Foggy Nelson being injured. Spoiler. And I've noticed they removed Black Widow from the cover as far as the title, the trade dress. But she's she's there on the the banner there. So do we have anything to say on the cover? Uh, let me just turn back to it again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a decent cover. It, it kind of, you know, you got an action scene. Uh, I'm a little surprised that the Beetle is more prominent than Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Foggy Nelson thing, you know, I, I don't know that that's pulling readers in. No. So I, I don't know that you needed to do that. And I'm never, I've never been a fan of the separate picture from the title. Uh, just to, to be clear for anybody listening, the, the, there's the, the picture which takes up two thirds of the cover, and then the top third just has a yellow background. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not really not part of the picture that that we're seeing. I, it's, got, I, it's got the trade dress and your two your two main characters, Daredevil and Black Widow, on either side. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know why you, I don't know why you need the yellow background there. I don't know why you can't just extend those buildings behind the uh, trade dress. Yeah, I agree. I, and that's something. I mean, you saw this in Spider Man. Most of the Marvel books were doing it at this time, and I, I don't like it. I like the simple corner box. Right. Me too. But as far as how the cover is drawn, again, I, I have my questions about the layout of the cover. But as far as the actual artwork on it, I think it's all fine. Mm-hmm. Is this is no? I didn't. Did you say who who drew it? I did not. And is it John Romita? Because that's what it looks like to me. I don't think. I think it's Bob Brown. I think it's the artist for the for the interiors. Really? Well, actually, Foggy looks like Bob Brown, but Daredevil looks like John Romita to me, and so does the Beetle. A little, but I, Ramita wouldn't lay it out this way. I'm wondering if maybe he inked it. Um, that's a possibility, but so he's not. I'm clicking not on the Marvel on database here. right now, and it says cover artist, cover artists, John Romita and Gil Kane. Ah, ah, I see the Gil Kane now that you pointed out. And Gil Kane, and Daredevil's face, because he always makes Gil, Daredevil's face look a little thin. And and also. Uh, Gil Kane is, you know, I mean, if Bill were here, he'd say, oh, you know, looking up Foggy's nose or something. But uh, he wouldn't be he, wrong. <laughs> he went. He he would generally go for slightly off kind of perspective. Yeah. Which I would say is the case here. I, I did not pin this out as a uh, Gil Kane, but uh, I, I'm, my guess is Gil Kane penciled it and Romita inked it. But it's not Gene Coleman. Well, Gene Cullen is a very, very different animal. Yeah, I think if you gave the same pitch to Gene Cullen, he'd pull something completely mind-blowing out of it. Well, Gene Cullen, my my comment on Gene Cullen, or my standard comment on Gene Cullen, is that he had a way of drawing a still image that always looked like it was moving. Yes. It never never looked like a posed poster when Gene Cullen drew it. No, I would always say that you know if you gave me a, a book of just daredevil swinging around the city by colon no story no anything i would buy that book because it was it would be dynamic because he was he was talking on an interview for the daredevil dvd that he always tried to do something different he didn't he wanted to avoid repeating himself and i mm-hmm. think he was very successful in that yeah i would agree and i think that goes to what i'm saying like it he didn't draw posed pictures Mm-mm. you know it always looked like a candid shot yeah Oh, but this is heart. not a Gene Colan book. This is a Steve Gerber written book and a Bob Brown penciled book with inks by Paul Galassi. The letters are done by John Costanza, no relation to George Costanza. And colors are by Petrus Scotis or Goldberg, depending on what time frame you're meeting her. Apparently she's a time traveler. But <laughs> And a little background. We're opening in San Francisco. At this point, Daredevil is living in San Francisco with the Black Widow. And it is Christmas time. And we start with Daredevil and Black Widow swinging around San Francisco and fighting because of Moondragon. She's a house guest, and apparently there's a little bit of a love triangle happening. Because we just came off of a very cosmic story. I'm not going to get too far into that because it's headache-inducing. But the the heroes come across a mugging. An older lady is getting mugged. They start fighting, and Black Widow kind of gets out of control. And is about to kill this guy, and Daredevil stops her a little roughly. Maybe hits her a little. Not saying he did, but he hit her. I'm saying he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, as he's talking to the cops, she ditches them, and they end up back at their place where they argue some more. 
And that's interrupted when we find out that Foggy Nelson was shot in New York. So with this relationship pretty much melting down, Daredevil heads home to New York via Moondragon spaceship, and Moondragon herself also exits the book. That's one less character to give us a headache. Uh, Matt arrives at the hospital and meets Foggy's family, apparently for the first time. And uh, this includes Foggy's sister, Candace, who Daredevil has never met before. I emphasize that because I'm going to talk on that a little bit uh, later. And he goes in to talk to a a comatose Foggy. And Foggy kind of wakes up and warns Matt about a robbery of printing plates, as in plates used to print money. And this is from a federal building. And he says this is the work of Black Spectre. So Daredevil stakes out. Yeah, I was hoping we put a sting in there. Uh, Daredevil stakes out the federal building and the beetle attacks. Armored beetle with suction cups. That's his main power. Uh, And about that same time, Black Spectre stormtroopers, for lack of a better description, show up. There's a big uh, brouhaha, big fight. The cops think Daredevil's partnering with the beetle because apparently, you know, Spider-Man. And while Daredevil beats the beetle by removing his helmet and power source, Black Spectre gets away with the plates. And we end with a cliffhanger. Yeah. No, I, I really like this book. I, so I'm going to put that out front before I start criticizing it. Yeah, it's kind I, of thin. <laughs> well, first, first thing that, I, as I did my reread for today, the first thing that jumped out at me, and it, it's nothing to do with really the story so much as conceptual. Uh, I don't know if you listened to Blaine Dowler's phys- comic book physics. A little. Show it all. I'm way behind. So. He, he did an episode on that where he tried to figure out and I'm sure his math was all on the money and everything, but he tried to figure out, is it really faster for Spider-Man to web-sling across the city as opposed to somebody driving? I remember we were talking about that on the train to the city. Oh, yeah, that's right, we were. Yep. And ultimately he concluded it could be, but it was close. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, if if everything kind of goes in his favor, yeah, but... uh, you know, but really, really close. Now, I'm looking at Daredevil and the Black Widow swinging across. And I think there's some just some great images in here. The, the second page, I think, is spectacular. Where, where it shows, like, all uh, the Black Widow and all the different uh, stages of her leap. Yeah, kind of the progression. Un- until she and Daredevil kind of meet, like, trapeze artists. Yeah, I didn't notice she was grabbing his ankle. That's great. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's. I think that's a spectacular page. Uh, but the concept of Daredevil with his Billy Club and the Widow and whatever her line is called, uh, they have to throw it, have it hook onto something, swing to somewhere, release it from there, throw it again, have it hook onto something, and swing again. Conceptually, that really just, first of all, I'm thinking that's that's like a, a death wish. Because, Which kind of fits Daredevil. But. Yeah, but I, I think that the chances of you successfully navigating across a city that way are practically nil. Second of all, the amount of time it would take to take each step of that, probably you could just walk across the city. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's part. Of, that's in the realm of how how much of your disbelief are you willing to suspend? See, I, I but I think the Billy Club line makes more sense if he's just using it to get from one place to another, 
as opposed to a staged thing where you're going, okay, 30 feet, now another 50 feet, now another 100 feet. Like, that doesn't work. But, but yeah, I guess ultimately you have to – you. you I guess at a minimum, he'd have to have two billy clubs so that he could be throwing one while he's swinging on the other. And it would have to be like self-releasing, like a little button he pushes that releases the one that he's no longer swinging on. Yeah, that's how I've always pictured it, but it's not always how it's drawn or presented. Well, he definitely doesn't have two. No, not normally. If you, But I agree, if you're going from building to building, run across the rooftop, grapple again, okay, all right. That's doable. But this, like you were talking about the second page, which is gorgeous, but the first page, Daredevil, the angle we're looking at him at, I don't know that he would reach that kind of swing. He Well, the angle he's at, you'd think he's at the apex of his swing. Yeah. He's, he's about to start heading back the other direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which you don't see very often. Whereas the widow is at the very beginning of her swing. Hey, it's San Francisco. There are hills. It works differently than New York. Actually, Mark Wade kind of commented on that, that when Daredevil moved back to San Francisco, there weren't enough buildings to really get anywhere all that fast. Yeah. And like I said, that's just conceptually. Cause, and I, I think, like you said, you kind of just got to suspend your disbelief and take it for what it is and just say, this is how he gets across the city. End of story. Yeah. Leave me alone. <laughs> well, other art- artists combine it with, you know, he's he's – Jumping out, he's doing a pivot off a, a flagpole or something, or he's got a statue and he's using that to to press himself again. Just the Billy Club alone doesn't cut it, but if you look at him swinging on the flagpole, uh, it gives a little bit of, of believability that he's using his environment. Yes, that I can go with. And like I said, it, I'm not a big Bob Brown fan. Uh, I I think a lot of his artwork is kind of pedestrian. But I, I just keep going back to this second page, and I think it's almost flawless. Yeah, the, the second page is gorgeous. I, I would own that original art. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Then, But then you turn to page three, and then you see the stuff that makes me not like Bob Brown. <laughs> like, like the widow's face in the, the, the middle panel. Where she looks kind of Vulcan. Yeah. Or, or uh, Namor in you. Just, just kind of the uh, the character design of Frenchie the mugger. <laughs> He's got a pom pom at the top of his hat. I, I don't know. It's it was the seventies. People wore things like that. I was alive in the seventies. I bought this. Well, this book I bought actually. I bought this one used because it was already two months old by the time I started buying Daredevil. But uh, I don't know. Like the second page, I don't like first the or the. No, excuse me. The second page I like a lot. The third page I don't like at all. And, and you know, I agree with you because I hate the dance they're doing across the. I mean, it's Christmas time, so there's these wreaths hanging across the street, and they're doing this tightrope walking thing, and it it just lends more more credence to your argument that the physics don't quite work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's 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 very dull. Whereas the page before was spectacular. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's, I just like to me the contrast. You, you just turn one page, and you see a totally different book. Pretty much, yeah. He's inconsistent, and I agree. I think pedestrian's the best way to do it. He's not good. He's he's not great. He's not bad. He's serviceable. Mm-hmm. But there are far better artists that have touched this. Yes. Now, who ain't this? This is Paul Galassi. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not crazy 
and I don't know if it's Galassi or if it's Brown, but I'm not crazy about the, just in general, the faces that he draws. Well, I'm looking here. I got to tell you, I'm looking, because I have the Marvel Unlimited version pulled up. Right. But I also have my Essential. And I got to say, I think it looks much better in black and white. It loses, there's a little bit of a saturation with the color. Because Black Widow's face, I mean, it still looks a little off, but it's not nearly as bad. Hmm. Hey, that's interesting, because I have never seen this in black and white, so I don't know. And page two looks probably... I mean, I, I, I'm as I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate black and white in a lot of books, especially like, you know, other Daredevil books drawn by that artist that we can't talk about, because it's not a Gene Colan podcast. <laughs> I didn't expect Bob Brown to come out this well. Well, Gene Colan in particular is somebody who works very, very well in black and white. Mm-hmm. Because his, his, his artwork in general kind of had a moody tone to it that sometimes could be glossed over with color. Yeah. And I think maybe Bob Brown got affected by this, or maybe just because the colors chosen are, are kind of an eyesore. And in, unfair, in all fairness, that may be the digital recoloring that's doing that. Okay. Well, we'll go with that. So but, I, I, I kind of like the uh, the way the widow is... I don't. I mean, I don't want to say I'm pro violence, but just from a storytelling point of view, I like the way the widow is just out of control with this mugger, where she's just incapable of stopping beating on him. Well, it's easy to forget that Natasha was she was she was a spy. I mean, she did things that other people wouldn't. And I mean, is she going to gently take out a, an operative from the other country? No, she's going to terminate them. So she's she's got a Wolverine quality before Wolverine, really, where there is sort of a, a side to her where she can let loose. And Daredevil is definitely not that kind of person. So it's odd that these two ended up together and even Daredevil comments, comments on it in the issue. Right. And then he gives a, a smack across the chops. But oh, that man. was that was kind of I don't want to sound terrible here, but that was an almost acceptable method to help somebody who had lost control regain their senses. You know, if somebody was hysterical, they'd smack them. Yeah. I'm not saying it was a belly club that he could, he could wrap around her and say, slow, slow your roll, Natasha. The appropriate way. Well, he does, he does come up behind her and grab her and pull her off of him and she breaks free. Oh, good point. Good point. And yeah, I I guess that that is the appropriate first step. Is yeah. to just come up behind her and hold her, you know, to to restrain her, but she breaks free from him and then goes back at the guy to to beat him some more, and that's when have, he smacks her. Have you read a lot of the era where they were in San Francisco living together? I think I read pretty much all of it. This is a terrible relationship. Oh yeah, the, <laughs> Daredevil's not. I mean, he's he's unintentionally sometimes, but he's he's mean to her. She's distant from him, and they're keeping secrets from each other. This is straight up soap opera. Well, I mean, Daredevil is-, is not, and I'll, I'll take this for his entire run. Daredevil is not a good significant other. No, I will stand by that. Not at all. So it's it's not just with Black Widow. He he was he was a bad boyfriend to uh, what's that? Karen. Karen, yeah. And to uh, who was the one who went crazy on him? Heather. Heather. Heather Glenn. She pretty much went crazy because of the way he treated her. Yeah. He's he's somebody – I mean, I was thinking about this fairly recently, but I was reading an older issue, and Daredevil's 
I mean, Matt's just like, I can't let them know the secret. And there's the whole Mike Murdoch thing. Mm-hmm. And it occurs to me that the Karen and Foggy in these early days are, are literally the closest people to him emotionally. And he refuses to, to let them on the, in on the secret to their detriment and his. There's a certain ego to Daredevil, which I, it sounds like I'm putting the character down, but it's just it is what it is. There's a certain ego to him, certain pridefulness that kind of puts a barrier. So, yeah, he's not a good significant other because he'll never really open up. And and being a fan of the character does not necessarily have to translate to say he's a perfect person because for the most part that wouldn't be entertaining. No. It's and more entertaining was, generally to read flawed characters and he has flaws. Oh yeah, he does. And that's I mean that's one of his strengths. His his entire concept is that he's quote unquote flawed by being blind. Mm-hmm. So he's built on a, a shaky foundation already. And if he somehow became perfect, you're right. It just there'd be nothing interesting about the character. The only the only character that I can go with near perfection on is Superman. Yeah, and even he has to have some moral dilemmas. I think he always has to make the right choice. I don't think Superman ever makes it. You know, there are there there are certain choices in life that you could present him with where there's a gray area, mm-hmm. and that's you know that's acceptable. But if if there's ever a clear right and wrong, you can't ever have Superman go for the clear wrong. No. But you can have Daredevil do it sometimes. And he does. <laughs> so, but but like I said, that's the only kind of thing, and maybe Captain America. He's yeah, but I th- I Captain America would also, if he had to, he'd get his hands dirtier than Superman would. Yeah. Yeah, I think he would. I think he'd be willing not to compromise his his principles mm-hmm. but on behalf of his principles he might be willing to do some things that superman might not yeah well it's kind of one of the things i like about wonder woman is she would be willing I mean, somebody was asking me why it didn't bother me that that wonder woman killed in the movie and i explained to them that wonder woman she's part of a warrior race she's been trained since birth she knows what she's doing she's going to be more judicious than clark who grew up on a farm yeah. and you know, Wonder Woman will make mistakes, but she's doing it from a different, you know, I don't mean to paraphrase Kenobi here, but she's doing it from a different perspective, different point of view. She sees a, a different, broader spectrum. And that's kind of what Superman does is he sees, he sees the other side of that coin, but he sees what he, uh, kind of what he wants to see sometimes, that there has to be a way out. But he's Superman. He's there to do the impossible. Daredevil, however, can't lift planets. And Daredevil also lives in a grittier world. Yes. You know, there there is a lot more gray area in Daredevil's world. And yeah, because you have somebody like the Kingpin who, I mean, it's down the road from this, but you have somebody that by all accounts is, is perfectly great on the surface to the public. But Daredevil knows what he's doing. And, you know, the law can't touch him. Daredevil's going into that gray area to make a choice. And he doesn't always approach it correctly. Right. Yeah, I agree. But now, just to go back into the story, so we're, we're dealing with a real crossroads here in Daredevil and uh, Natasha's relationship. Mm-hmm. And he, I tell you, you know, he's honest to a fault here. Yeah, I was going to, yeah. <laughs> and, and I give him credit for honesty, but 
boy, <laughs> you know, she he's asking, you know, she's asking him what he thinks of Moondragon. Do you love her? And he's like, I don't know. Well, maybe. maybe I might. <laughs> well, that comes to fruition later when when he's finally talking to Moondragon about. It. She's like, yeah, I don't want to deal with this. I'm going. I'm going to space where I can't talk to you. Now I don't know exactly <laughs> what Moondragon's power set is. I thought it was all, you know, mental that you know you, she could, uh, she could read minds. She could uh, kind of give you a mind blast. I didn't realize, and this may just be ignorance on my part, but I didn't realize it included telekinesis. A limited telekinesis, yeah. Madame McEvil. That's I always get a kick out of that name. <laughs> she could be in, in McDonald's. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she looks like Elia from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yes. Ilya. 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 I can never say that name right. So she could have been played by Persis Kambata. Actually, she would be perfect. That'd be awesome. Played by Persis Kambata. And this predates that, so you can't even say they stole the character model from that. Mm-mm. But she's the, Gerber. <laughs> bringing Moondragon in is, is a weird move, but I mean, we just, like I said, we came off a cosmic story, which Daredevil and Cosmic don't always go together. Gerber kind of made it work, but it was a stretch. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But it was it um, was it was a trippy fun stretch, which was is is like one of Gerber's trademarks. Yeah, Thomas DJ and I were talking uh, when we were in New York about how Gerber looked at Howard the Duck as his serious book and Daredevil as his funny book. <laughs> and I think I think he puts that on display that, that I mean we're, he's very good with was very good with character interactions. That's something that was great about Howard the Duck is the satire was on humanity by way of a duck, mm-hmm. and even with this. With this whole soup opera thing, he still plays with that relationship angle. And it, it, sometimes it's successful. Here it just kind of came off a little melodramatic. And Daredevil kind of struck out all the way across the board. Yeah. Absolutely. When, when your side chick goes to space to avoid you, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> or she should probably not have a side chick either. Just to put that out there. And he, well, But like I said, to his credit, his side chick is not hidden from his main chick. No, she's she's the house guest. Fully aware. Yeah. Right out in the open. So then, you know, then he finds out about Foggy's shooting. And there's a whole discussion there where, you know, I, I think, you know, I kind of like the characterization of, the, of Natasha there where she's like, you know, I don't wish him evil, but, you know, he he screwed he screwed with me and I I'm ne- I never want to see him again. Yep, so she, she he he didn't he unintentionally accused her of murder. Mm-hmm. thinking that she was the murderer. But that would be hard to forgive. Yep. So I, th- I think that's... She's, she doesn't... Yeah, like you said, she, she has no animosity, but she's he's not exactly her friend. Exactly. One of the things I notice here, uh, and I, I just... Sometimes I think it seems very, very forced when characters call each other, like, little nicknames. Mm-hmm. And... Like a lot of a lot of times, here Matt calls Moondragon MD. Yes, <laughs> and and I think that's not really a reflection of what he would call her. I think the purpose of that is so that the uh, pencil the uh, letterer didn't have to write out the name each time. I, I would save some space in the panels. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. And then she offers to give him a ride and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of cool. Panel. Like the, the way they say they do the ride is they go three, was it three thousand miles? 
you know, up at an angle and then 3,000 yeah. miles down at an angle to create but, a but triangle. Daredevil, when she offers him, Daredevil's like, you never fail to amaze me. And Black Widow's like, or me. And it's got the dripping cold. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I love the physics of that. Because that's, I mean, that's a space shuttle launch in a lot of ways. And the pa- the page where where they're traveling in the ship, that to me looks to be inked kind of strangely. I know it's very, very heavy. I don't know if they're trying to give off the lighting of the ship, but it feels like that whole page is a different book. Yeah, and I mean, it looks, it looks like Adam Strange. Moon Dragon looks like she's a watcher. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she does. With crystal tears that apparently light up. Well, that's that's those. I think those are phoenix tears. Oh, good. They can heal somebody because they look, <laughs> they look like when the phoenix tried in Chamber of Secrets. I can see that. No, okay. Looking at this in black and white, it's definitely inked very oddly. In fact, it looks way off in in the black and white. I think it looks off in the color as well. So well, it'll be both, but yeah, it's it's. It's like there was more cross hatching for some reason. Maybe he spilled, you know, spilled an ink bottle on it, and we'll make the best out of this. <laughs> and no make need to pencil work. a new one; just go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so then, but then uh, go ahead. We get there and we meet Foggy's family, which apparently Matt has never met. Yeah, surprising. You would think he would have at least met the father who uh, who bankrolled them in the beginning of their uh, law practice. Yeah, or, you know, when Foggy and he graduated at the same time, the family didn't go to the graduation. We know why Jack wasn't there, you know, but but it does it does lend a little bit of credence to the idea that Matt could have a twin brother that Foggy didn't know about, because apparently Matt didn't know about Foggy's sister. Yeah, they, they weren't deeply involved in each other's family lives. Uh, now, the sister, I think, is supposed to be like a, I think, like late teens, you know, maybe like 19 or so. 19 or 20, right around in there, cause, and she does stick around for a while. Yeah, we're going to see some more of her before this uh, storyline is over, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, at this point, Foggy is engaged, I believe. Yep. But well, I Deborah had, yeah, she had been involved with a criminal, and she had, you know, basically roped Foggy into that. When she did her time, she actually called him up. It's like, no, I'm, I'm actually really interested in you. So Deborah has been around for a while. They actually end up getting married during the Frank Miller run. So it's 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 a long engagement. Yes, which is not uncommon. No. So then, uh, you know, Matt meets up with Foggy, and, and you know, they let him go in to see him, and Foggy wakes up, and uh, I, I like the shot of him where he bolts up in the bed, and he's colored in red mm-hmm. because he's he's so upset about what's going on. He's trying to tell Matt about the plan to steal the plates. Now, at this point, does Foggy know? No. Foggy doesn't find out till the 90s. Well, Foggy doesn't officially find out till the 90s, but does Foggy know? No. Okay. Foggy had no clue because it was after, it was after um, Fall from Grace because he thought Matt was dead when Matt was living as, ready for this, Jack Batlin. <laughs> um, but Karen knew and... Matt was hurt, and she roped Foggy in, like, we need to help him. And Foggy's like, he's Daredevil this whole time? Okay. So so they did actually specifically tell you that he, that yeah. he didn't know. Okay. It's you not, talking it's about not that a Mary with, Jane uh, type of situation. Well, we, the Mary Jane thing is, is you know, clear retcon. But mm-hmm. uh, 
we were talking about it with Spider-Man with uh, Robbie Robertson. And mm. my, my opinion is Robbie Robertson is known since uh, probably around, you know, issues 40 or so on. Yeah. And has just kept it to himself. And if nothing else to me, that's borne out by the fact that he, he and Captain Stacy used to get together to talk about Spider-Man and Captain Stacy knew. Yes. So, you know, I, I don't think he, he, I don't think Captain Stacy kept that to himself, especially with a man as honorable as Robbie Robertson. But yeah, I, again, I that they hinted towards that at the, in the movie, but not a Spider-Man podcast either, though. So no. I don't, I'm going too far afield here. So he starts investigating this. I really like the shot of the beetle kind of coming up behind him. The three panels where he gets closer and closer. Yeah, yes. I love that. I think that's great. And Daredevil just kind of realizes it at the last second, you know, because he hears the the wind, you know, blowing against him. And then it's Fighty McFightenstein copyright Andrew Leyland. Yeah, we we have, you know, just just basically a lot of fighting going on. I think it's pre- see, I think it's pretty cool. I, I like when uh, you know when he he comes after him with the suction cup fingers and gets the wall and. I also think it's kind of cool the way he defeats him by pulling off the helmet. Yeah, because that's, I guess that's his power source. Of course, why you'd have your power source in your helmet, I don't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I had no idea. The logistics of that, I don't get. I would think the power source would be somewhere by those, you know, 3,000-pound wings. Yeah, and then... You're thinking logically, though. Uh, what a fool I am. And, that's, and then we have our first meeting with the Black Spectre. They are goony-looking. <laughs> they're goony, the, the, but I don't know. There's something cool about them. I don't know. Maybe it's just nostalgic like for me. They feel sci-fi. Yes, very much. And I think that's what I like about them. So this one ends, and they tell us that in you know in two months, because this is bi-monthly at this time, you're gonna have Daredevil 109 and Marvel 2 and 1 number 3. Yeah, you do. So with that as our uh, intro, I think I'm gonna give our synopsis of Daredevil 109. Or do we want to rate this book? Okay. Yeah. You want to go first? Um, I'll go first. Cover. I'm going to give. I'm going to give a C. It's serviceable, but for the reasons we talked about, the perspective, the banner across the top, it's 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 pedestrian. You know, to use your word, I think that's a perfect word. Art. Uh, well, story. I will give a B because it was good. It was engaging, but it felt. Felt over with pretty quickly. It, it serves as a prelude, so I'm keeping that in context. So I'll give it a B. And the art, I will. Uh, there were some really standout you know, pages here, so I'm going to give it a B as well. Probably a B minus. Okay. So I guess that would average out to yeah, roughly a B. B minus is probably where I'd give the overall. Okay. Uh, yeah, for, I, I mean, I'm pretty much in agreement with everything you said. My grades might vary slightly. Uh, I think the cover is well drawn, but there are things about it, as we discussed, that I, I would change. I don't think you need the inset of Foggy. I would I would even out the perspective of Daredevil and the Beetle. I wouldn't have the Beetle dominating the cover as much as he is. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to hold it against the cover artists that they had the trade dress with the yellow behind it, because I don't think that was an artist's choice. I think that was a, manage, a, a, a company choice. So I'm going to say, I'm going to go slightly higher than you and give a C plus on the cover. The interior art, I feel, is like almost the definition of inconsistent. Because there's, like I said, page two, I think that's as good as you get. 
I've, I, I, you know, I can't, I, I've seen, I've seen better pages, but not a lot of them. Yeah. But then you get stuff like, you know, page three, which I don't like at all. And a lot of the facial renderings in here, I don't like, uh, but I think the overall layouts are usually pretty good. I think the backgrounds are lacking very often. I think we have blank backgrounds in a lot of the shots. Uh, so, again, inconsistent. I'm going to say for the interior artwork, I'm going to go, because some of it is so good, I'm going to go with a, a B-. Mm. Uh, I think I think I would go C, but... Because some of it, some just because of like that one page and a couple of other shots that are worthy of it, I think it elevates it. And then the story, I find the story to be engaging. I think it was complex. I think it had a lot of emotions going on and character uh, interaction. So I'm going to say a solid B on the story, and I'm going to give the book a C plus overall. Gotcha. So we're not too far apart. No, not at all. So. From this, we move on to Daredevil 109, which is May of 1974. And the cover shows Daredevil swinging just above the street level. And there's money falling from the sky. People are scrambling to get it. And in the distance, atop a building, Necra, the high priestess of death, is holding the limp form of the Black Widow over her head, ready to throw her to a death. Uh, so this, again, as I mentioned, my first ever issue of Daredevil. And not a bad one. No, not you at all. And the, it's, the actual, the actual banner is gone. <laughs> yes. It's, and I, I prefer it that way. And we also, instead of having Black Widow on the, the right side of the cover, we have Necra throwing her to her death right in the spot where you would have her. Yeah. So uh, the story is titled Dying for Dollars, written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Bob Brown, inked this time out by Don Heck, lettered by Artie Simic, inked by Petra Goldberg, and edited by Roy Thomas. Story picks up right at the end of the previous story, with Daredevil being attacked but with gas by the Black Spectre, who make off with the treasury plates that were the uh, MacGuffin in the first issue. Police arrive at the scene, and they assume that Daredevil and the Beetle were working together, and they question whether or not he actually is Daredevil, since he's supposed to be in San Francisco. He is the San Francisco treat, if you will. The Beetle uses his long fingers to grab at his helmet, which contains his power supply, and makes his exit. Daredevil follows him, and after a brief fight, gets the upper hand, but the Beetle, not a man of honor, grabs a block of cement and bricks and tosses it at the street below where a couple are strolling. Daredevil defies physics and acts quickly to rescue them, but by that time the Beetle is gone. We cut from then to two whole months later. And Matt Murdock is visiting a recuperating Foggy Nelson, and they provide a breakdown of activities that the Black Spectre is claiming responsibility for, including starting a race riot at the Statue of Liberty, decorating the Washington Monument with a swastika, draping Independence Hall in black, and most bizarre of all, adding the face of Adolf Hitler to Mount Rushmore. And the one common feature in all the photographs of these things is a dirigible in the background of each one. Uh, a nurse comes over and reports that someone's tossing money off of rooftops at Wall Street, and Matt leaves to investigate this, but is stopped by Foggy's sister Candace, who we met last issue. She invites him to go to a play with her uh, in the village, which he accepts, and we'll get to that next episode. You know the old saying that 
every comic book is someone's first. Well, as I said before, this was my first, and someone must have known that, because at this point in the story, we have a two-page splash, which details the makeup of Daredevil's Billy Club, and kind of, you know, one of those ones where you, like, get the, the cross-section, <laughs> and they, they show you the whole deal. So I guess somebody knew that I was, uh, that I was new to this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so at that point, he changes into his costume, and he's he's incredibly buff, by the way. Someone at the Marvel uh, and he's is like, hey, that's Spataro kid's going to get this comic. So we cut from there to Give the good layout. on top of a dome in San Francisco where she's watching the sunrise. She sing- swings off, and her line is slashed. As she falls, she manages to grab the edge of a rooftop, and she struggles to climb up, but is grabbed and thrown to the roof by Necra, who tells her that they seek her help in effecting the triumph of the Black Spectre. Widow tries all of her tricks, but they have no effect at all on Necra, who channels the power of hate into near invincibility. Uncharacteristically, the Widow cowers before her and is knocked out. Meanwhile, in New York, it's a madhouse of masses with money raining down. Daredevil espies the Black Spectre's soldiers filming the spectacle. He examines the money and can't tell if it's genuine or counterfeit, and then engages the Black Spectre soldiers. He studies his he studies his opponents as they do battle and thinks, "Can it be? Have I really been slugging it out with an army of?" And that thought is cut off by the arrival of the to the scene of the Beetle. The two form an uneasy alliance against the soldiers, but once that's completed. The beetle clocks D.D. and grabs a pile of cash. When Daredevil comes to, he's awakened by Police Commissioner O'Hara from San Francisco. And we cut from there to a meeting between O'Hara, Matt Murdock, and Foggy discussing the dirigibles in the photos. And they wonder aloud who's behind the Black Spectre. As they do that, they're interrupted by the arrival of Shanna the She-Devil, who is O'Hara's niece. And she's got a leopard and panther in tow. And she says that the man behind the Black Spectre is the same man who murdered my father. And this is to be continued in Marvel 2 and 1, number 3. Now, by way of background, Steve Gerber and I believe his live-in girlfriend at the time, I can't remember her name, uh, wrote the very short-lived Shannon the She-Devil series at this time. And in that story, we previously met Necra, and that's where the death of her father mm-hmm. is. Five issues. And we meet another character who we'll meet later in the series who I don't want to really talk about just yet. But uh, so, you know, I always find it interesting when uh, when writers write a character and then they end up on a different series and they have to kind of bring that no, character around, uh, with them because – they didn't get to finish that storyline, so they want to finish what they did. So all of a sudden, Shanna the She-Devil's in New York with her panther and, uh, and and leopard. And it kind of ends up feeling like this is the long game. Even though, I mean, I think it was an aborted storyline from Shanna the She-Devil and Kazar. It it makes it have a little bit of a tangibility that it's coming from book to book to book. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when they did the, uh, oh, Scorpio, um, what's the Scorpio key? Oh, the 
the the whole Scorpio key storyline. Yeah, the know, one with, with Nick Fury and, and Daredevil, and mm-hmm. the, the, you covered it on Daredevil. Daredevil yeah, and it, that went through the Avengers. That went through, and it was something that went on for. I mean, it was just a subplot that came to fruition, and it was fantastic. And it right. kind of makes it has this. This has that same feel. Yeah, well, it's it's. I guess it's an unintentional crossover. Mm-hmm. Had Shanna's series not been canceled, it probably would have been concluded in there. But I think we benefited. Yeah, I, I agree. And but you know, at this point, and it's not really commenting on this book so much, but at this point, books like those Shanna issues, or uh, like Red Wolf issues from the 1970s that I don't have, and things like that. To me, those are the issues. Like when I'm in the when I'm looking through like the dollar bins, those are the issues I'm looking for. Yeah. Because I just think those, I, I love picking up the obscure series like those. Those are, uh, those are really good examples. <laughs> I was trying to think of another one, because, but like those Marvel series you didn't know happened. <laughs> like there, Shanna had her own series. What? Yeah. Who gave Kazar his series? Oh, I love the, the original. Well, not the, the, the Kazar series that I love are actually volumes two and three. Uh, volume one was kind of a giant size reprint. Oh, there was only I, like, that. I think there were only two or three issues of that. And then volume two uh, built off of Astonishing Tales, where he had a feature. I forgot about Astonishing Tales. OK, I'm going to have I'm going to get off on a tangent if I'm not careful. So. Right. So but, you know, we have stuff in there uh, like the introduction of Bob, Bobby Morse, who went on to become Mockingbird. Yeah. Little seeds that get planted by accident. Yeah, exactly. And the, the Shanna series, to kind of bring it back to what we were talking about, is in in many ways similar to that. Because mm-hmm. I know they, they seeded this. I'd forgotten that until I was reading it today. I think I might have known it, but I don't, th- I don't know if it was available on Marvel Unlimited back when we started talking about this. It is now, though. The whole series, all five issues. So you may have to go back and read that now. I did a quick read of number five. Okay. I haven't read it in a while. But I, I just, you know, when this came out, obviously I had no clue. Yeah. I, I, I thought Necra and her cohort were introduced in this series. I didn't know they preexisted it. So. Well, how did, I mean, what was, what was, I don't, I don't know how old you were in 1974. I don't want to know. Well, this was, uh, this was early 1974, so I would have been 11. 11, okay. What did, ele- I mean, what were 11 year old Spall, uh, Spall, Paul Spataro's thoughts when opening this book? Do you have a memory of that? Well, as best as I can remember, I just saw it as a typical superhero romp. Like I, I didn't see any, you know, dramatic subtext or anything of that nature. I didn't realize that it was more far-reaching than just, you know, the issue before and the issue after. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, you know, that I, again, I had no idea that there was a Shanna series. But that was, you know, that was one of the fun things, though, as you read stories like this, would be, you know, when they would reference something and then you'd have a footnote that would say, you know, see Shanna's, you know, much... Uh, Malign series or whatever, you know, or, or, you know, dearly departed series, uh, issue number five. And, you know, the, you know, despite popular opinion that comic stores didn't exist back then, they did. And, you know, I would go with my cousin and my friends to, to the store, uh, that was actually near my cousin's house. 
and uh, we, you know, the four of us would go together and, and go through the back back issue bins, uh, and and I would look for the books that were referenced. And that was that was like you know to me that was the excitement of collecting was when you'd see a reference to something, and then you'd get the issue where it actually happened, and you'd get to read the act the you know the actual story, yeah, as opposed to just a footnote telling you what it was. And that's I mean as I've gotten older, and of course back issues are digitally available, more accessible. There are stories that I I knew that I mean for like example the Great Darkness Saga I'd known the overview, but I'd never experienced it before. And there's a very big difference in that. And there's some of those, you know, some of those, I, I would say, you know, you have three kind of levels of it. You have the ones that when you finally read them, they're a disappointment. You have the ones that when you read them, they live up to the hype. Mm-hmm. And then there's others that are somewhere in between, whereas if you were reading it when it was coming out, it would be a great thrill. But going back to it after the fact, it's just not what you expect. I could see that. Uh, Death of Gwen Stacy was one that, I mean, it's changed since then, since I've done a little bit of a deeper read. But I remember finally reading that and thinking, really? That's, that just happened so fast. Yeah. But if you go back, I mean, there's tons of, you know, the fact that, you know, you pick up that the last time they see each other alive is very casual. And you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's true to life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- there was no internet back then, so there was no, you know, spoilers. The, mm-hmm. the title to the issue, which was The Night Gwen Stacy Died, uh, wasn't until the last page of the story after it actually happened. So if, and that happened shortly before I started collecting. Uh, but that must have been a tremendous shocker to read it brand new without yeah. knowing where it was going. And like for me, I started collecting my first Spider-Man issue was 131, so it was you know less than a year later, and they were making reference to the fact that she had been killed, and it didn't take too too long before I acquired that issue, but I mean I I thought it was epic when I read yes. it. I think I think what, you have to ca- you know calibrate your your expectations sometimes because there's gems out there. That, you know, first read through, like, eh, I was expecting more, but they might sit with you. I like those a lot. Mm-hmm. This storyline was one of them. That's the reason I bring that up. Right. I, and I agree. Because you suggested it. I'm like, I don't know if I've ever read that. And I think I did a cursory read through, but I kept thinking about, I mean, things that happen in this issue towards the end, and especially things that come are coming down the road. This is one of the most, when you finish it, it's one of the most riveting storylines. And we, you know, this issue starts the big, big ramp up. And that's that's exactly where I was going to go now. Is what do you, what do you think about what we get in this issue? We, we you know, it's you know, like this. This issue is you know, it's, it's fairly dark as far as yeah. the storyline. You know, we have uh, you know, we 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 have the the beetle. First of all, you know, Daredevil being accused of being in uh, cahoots with him. But, you know, the fact that he's he's taking this big chunk and throwing it at these people. And again, I think dev- defying physics to save them. Because he's already released that stone. Yeah. While Daredevil is still kind of standing over him. So now he needs to leap over the beetle and then catch up to the stone. But not only catch up to them, but catch up quickly enough to grab these people Make sure the and line move them out taut. of the way yeah. before they before they get hit. And, I mean, it's well drawn because it ha- they have him... Uh, what he does is he wraps his legs around the two of them as he's swinging, and 
he's still able to use his arms to swing and, uh, you know, hold their weight with his legs, which is probably fairly impossible to do, too, but still kind of looks cool. Yeah, it looks cool, but you're right. It's impossible. It's, it's It was something that did stand out because I thought, wouldn't he, in his swing, come to a dead stop when you've got two people's weight anyway? We You'd could, have we to could, have a hell of a lot of momentum going. Yeah, yeah. But right after that, this is what this is. This is like one of those jokes that at first seem kind of innocently funny. And when you think a little bit deeper about it, you realize that there's, you know, a naughtiness to it. Because you have kind of the resolution of the previous issue and then swastikas and race riots and Adolf Hitler on uh, Mount you know, Rushmore. Hitler on Mount Rushmore. How the hell did they do that? They, and they, throw, they give you a runaway line, a, a little throwaway line that, oh, I, I think they used lasers to do that lasers but really <laughs> you, you're gonna create adolf hitler's face in stone uh and 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 just it's just there you know no we don't know who did it when they did it how they did it please but it's, it's hilarious but it's but it's so dark at the same time well, I mean, and that's we're the in a universe where humor. thor can fly over at any time so I, I give it a little bit of slack but steve, steve gerber's humor was always very dark and yet this is, I mean, these scenes are, I mean, they're resonant today. They, and thankfully, you know, there's that shock, like, really? That's in a comic book? Because if we were that desensitized, something's way wrong. That's in a comic book that was approved by the Comics Code Authority. Yes. <laughs> back when they had power. This was on newsstands. Yeah, that's where I bought it. <laughs> but did that, I mean, did that stand out to you at 11? No. No, okay. it really didn't. I don't think it would me either, because I would think, well, Nazis are bad guys. Makes yes, sense. that's pretty much what I thought. But as it an didn't... adult, I mean, especially you being a parent, I mean, do you ever think about the idea that had your kids been exposed to this at that age? <laughs> no, that just occurs to me now that you say it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think my kids are are sensible enough that I don't think that would be that big a deal. But just the same... Uh, you know, it, it, when you think about it, it's it's pretty pretty shocking to include that. You know, the combination of both not not the race riots and not the draping the uh, what's it called the Liberty Tower in uh, black, but but to have the swastika over the Washington Monument and Adolf Hitler's face on Mount Rushmore, those are pretty significant. Yeah, and and pretty evil. It, it stands out, and for those, just to let everybody know, I'm 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 not pro censorship, but what I was saying was, think about you know, eleven year old, you look over their shoulder and there's swastika and Adolf Hitler, that's going to stand out to a parent. What yeah, I wonder, I wonder what would have been the reaction had my dad seen that I was reading that. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a more interesting perspective on on what may have been. Uh, I, I you know I doubt he was aware of it and. I don't think he would have approved. I, I think I would have gotten the comic taken away. But, uh, you know, then we go on. The, the next page where Candace asks him out, mm -hmm. first of all, I, I got to say, Don Heck's version of inking her, she's much, much prettier than, uh, than in the previous issue. Yeah. But I don't think Hex Inks did Matt any favors when he's in costume. Besides a few standout pages, like the first page looks fantastic. On on the same panel, I'm looking at the panel in the the middle row, all the way mm -hmm. to the right. 
to the right where she's yeah. walking away? Yes. First yeah. of all, I think she looks pretty in that picture, and it kind of goes with the thought. Uh, I've always heard where people say, oh, Don Heck knew how to draw, draw pretty women. Uh, now, he didn't pencil this, but he inked it, and you can, I think you can clearly see that's a Don Heck face mm-hmm. on her. Uh, and, and she does look pretty in that picture. And I think he drew Daredevil as uh, Robert Redford with red hair. Oh, I can see that. Uh, and, and, and Candace, he does, it not only makes her prettier, makes her a little bit older, so it feels a little less awkward. Yes. I mean, how old would you say Matt is supposed to be at this point? Maybe 30? In th- his 30s, 31, to, between 31 and 33. Because he's been through law school, so he's he's definitely, I mean, he's well, well you through figure, his 20s. You figure you get out of college at 22, and law school is three years if you go right afterwards, so you're out of law school mm-hmm. at 25. He's been he practicing, practicing for a while, so yeah. and, long, and long enough for Foggy to be the DA of New York now. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking you got to be at least 30 by that time. Mm-hmm. So she's, Easily. you know, she's probably 10 years younger than him, but she's drawn more like she's six years younger. And there's probably a good reason Foggy didn't introduce Matt to her. Yeah, well, especially since he's such a great boyfriend to the only yeah. woman. <laughs> Come on, Matt, my sister, really? Now, the the next page, the double the double splash where they kind of give you the lowdown on the Billy Club and everything. He is he's far too buff. Yes, and, and again, it, the inking looks kind of like the Moon Dragon scene in the ship. The inking looks off. Yeah, it, it looks like it's. It, it almost looks like a little bit of lazy inking, uh, especially on on the shot of him all the way to the left. Mm-hmm. That's it, exactly the shot I'm thinking of. You know, it looks to me like. That panel was supposed to be smaller, and they blew it up. I can oh, I can see that. So the line work got all fuzzy. Yeah, because in the inset, in the little circular inset, when he's in costume, he looks fine. Yeah, looks that great. looks fine. The the and the black on the inking looks good there. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't like the cross hatching in between the two shots of him either, though. No, but the Billy Club looks fantastic. Yes. I love it when an artist makes the Billy Club look like a plausible, usable tool. Mm-hmm. Because it can come off goony. I mean, a lot of artists draw it like an extended nunchuck. But, right. you know, Colin always did it. I, mean, I know I'm tooting his horn again, but he always made it look plausible. And we, that's Bob Brown's really good at that, too. Credit words do. Absolutely. And I do like the way... I'm, I'm just you know turning to the next page. I like the way Black Widow looks more than I did in the previous oh, yeah. issue with Paul Galassi inking her. She, although, the the, the lines think, are smoother and her face is more vib- more vibrant. Yes. And so then we cut, you know, we get to the point where Necra comes in, and I see her as a fairly terrifying villain at this point. Yeah, uh, you know, she she's. You know, she's got the look of a vampire, and, you know, the Black Widow is not able to ha- have any, even the slightest bit of offense against her. Mm-mm. But I don't like the very last line she gives where she says, no, you're not human, stay back, stay. I, it, the, the Black Widow would not cower before anybody. No, that does bother me. She she would She might accept, I can't defeat this person, but she wouldn't start begging for... You know, leave me alone. No, and by the time we get done with this storyline, there's going to be a lot to say on that end. But I'm going to reserve some of that right now. I don't like that scene at yeah. all. 
I don't, I don't mind. I, I don't mind the scene at all. I just don't. Want, well, I, mean, I don't the, like that one. That one dialogue balloon. Yeah, the conclusion. If you if the scene was exactly the same otherwise, I'm fine with it. Oh, I, I also don't like. Actually, I have to. I have to add something else. I don't like when she says, "Why not try your widow's sting?" And then she does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're, you're taking you direction from her now. Yeah. If she tells it, you she wants you to do it, maybe you should be looking at for something else to do. It's just I. I don't know that I like it, but I find it intriguing that she uses the power of hate. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love the hate. Or do I hate the and, love? I think if, as if you simply remove that speech balloon, and I, I, you know, I don't know that it was drawn as if she's begging, because you see her using the widow's sting and then she gets smacked. You could easily remove that speech balloon and this would be a great scene. Yeah. I, I'd be fine with it then. And it presents Necra... As a plausible enemy. I, I, I dig it. She yeah. took out the Black Widow without he really lifting a finger. Yeah, she, she, and, and again, you know, she allowed the Widow to, to attack her, and she wasn't able to, to make any progress at all. Which, yeah. which brings to mind the question of why do did, why did they even want the Black Widow on their side? She's trying to recruit her for them. If, if she's that ineffective against her, why even bother? Because if if you take last issue where she let some of that venom out, and you extrapolate that, you've got a dangerous woman. Because okay. if she can be, if she can go into the power of hate, what is she going to let out of that? That's true. Good point. So we cut from there back to New York, where Egghead is running and getting money, <laughs> and Party Man is playing with with Jack Nicholson somewhere down the road in a parade. And then if you look. There's, uh, it's Bibbo and towards the, more towards the left side of the oh, it, panel. It's totally Bibbo. And look what Bibbo. he's doing, look what he's doing to that woman. Oh, geez. <laughs> that's, that's very easily lost in this panel. He's there, you know, the scene that we're talking about has the money raining down from up above and the people in the, in the street are just kind of, you know, getting hysterical going after it. Uh, and you see the one guy who I said is egghead. It's like a bald headed guy. He's at the foreground of the picture. And then as you work your way back, there's two men who are fighting to get the money. There's so much money there. I don't know why you'd have to actually physically fight with anybody else for it. But anyway, there's two men fighting and one of the guys is kind of grabbing with his left hand for money and he's pushing the other guy's face with his right hand at the same time, moving more towards the right of the photo, there's a, a guy would, who appears to be wearing a sailor's hat, and he's running so hard that he's bowling over this woman, and she is actually uh, horizontal yeah, in the air because of the way he ran into her. Or was so, she leaping in front of him? Or she's leaping in front of him, but I don't think so. I think he's bowling no. her over. <laughs> I think he just ran, and I, I, you're right, it, it's, it's easily missable because I didn't catch it. And then very far in the background, you can kind of see Daredevil up above swinging, watching all of this. That's an awkward swing, by the way. Yeah. Well, it's kind of <laughs> difficult to even kind of make out his his body in that shot. But so, you know, and it's, it's he sees the uh, Black Spectre people, but then he takes time to examine the counterfeit or real bills. He can't tell. But with Daredevil's, you know, sensibilities, the fact that he can't tell, I think, speaks volumes yeah, as to the quality of the the bills, and he he engages in battle. I kind of like that the beetle comes along 
to help him in this battle, and it's kind of based on pride. At first, it's a grudge match, he says. But then as soon as the uh, as soon as they're taken out, he, he just clobbers Daredevil, who's not, yeah. who's not suspecting it. Well, I mean, Daredevil probably should have known. It, it, once a villain, always a villain. Yeah, he shouldn't have expected that now he's friends with this guy. And we get the revelation, can it be? Have I really been fighting, fighting an army of? Oh, you'll see. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like that. I think that's a nice touch. And then we get talking about the dirigible and the intro of Shanna the She-Devil. And we kind of already talked about Shanna and uh, yeah. and, and her, her introduction into the storyline, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. it's it's starting. You start seeing the snowball form in this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point, I think if you've read the first two issues, at this point, at a minimum, you know if you want to read more. Oh, yeah. And this is this is where it grabbed me, to be honest with you, um, because it's just it's chaos, and I I love that idea that we're dealing with essentially a terrorist organization. It's like Cobra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you, you don't know what their motivations are at this point, because why would you put all that money out there? Yeah, you know, it's, it's very you know other than to cause chaos. You don't know what you know what what their motivations are. You don't know what it is Daredevil's discovering about them. Could I have been slugging out out with an army of? And uh, I don't know if we find out next issue or the issue after. I what that, think it's after. So well, it'll still be next episode. Yeah. So I guess we could rate this one now. And since I did the synopsis on this one, uh, I see the cover as kind of a poster image. And I really like it. I, I this, this pulled me in when I bought it, and it's always been one of my favorites. So I'm going to give the cover an A. I, I really mm. like it. Uh, the interior art, I think, is a step up from last issue, and I give the credit to Don Heck for the inking on it. Uh, with the exception of that one shot where it looks to me like it's been blown up because the inking just looks weak in that shot. Yeah, but otherwise, I think this is pretty solid, and I'm going to give the artwork a B. And story, I think Gerber's really starting to ramp it up, and I'm going to say an A minus on the story for this issue. I'm going to give the book overall a B. Okay, I don't think I'm too far off. I, I like you, love the cover. Um, it's laid out well. I like that you know Black Widow's section. She's being held by Necra. Uh, and it's 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 like you said it pulls you in because it's a suspenseful moment. So I, I'll go ahead and give that an A. Um, art interior, I will get yeah I'll give a B. I'll go ahead and give a B because Don Heck really does lift this up, not consistently, but when you look at his Candace, when you look at some of the shots where the radar sense is emanating, I think that's been made to work better by Don Heck. So I will I'll give the art I'll give it a B. Story, I'll also give a B, because it definitely starts, it's a slow burn at the first half, and then the second half is, here's all these jacked up things that are happening. So I'll, I'll give it a straight B across the board, and an overall B. Alright, cool. So we're, we're, we're again, we're, we're not too far apart from each other. Nope. And uh, that'll do it for the first of our three parts. I hope that everybody listening is 
intrigued enough to stay with us, uh, probably what I'd like you to do if you want to ask my advice is read the rest of the storyline so that when we get to it, you're, you know, you're familiar with what we're talking about. But yep. anyway, uh, thanks for coming on, Dave. Thanks for having me. Always, finally get down to this. Always a pleasure. And yeah, this is something, as we said, we've been talking about this for a couple of years now, so I'm glad to finally get to it. I don't know if part two is going to be next week or if it's going to be down the road a little while. But anyway, uh, Dave will be back for part two. I'll return. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week. So, oh, so what is this? Back to the bins? Where are we? We are back to the bins. We are back to the bins. Bum, 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 bum. No, that doesn't work, does it?